You know, this is going to be a huge underground hit with the Mary Kay ladies. This is the right ones. Hello and welcome to Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. I'm your host, Michael Deniston, and the voice you're not hearing, but unfortunately you will, is my co-host, Chris Maynard. And for the first time on this new podcast, we have a guest, writer and director of Easy Living, which is the feature we will be covering today, Adam Kellerman actually comes on to talk about the inspiration for his film, the process taking around the festival circuit, and what some of the reactions have been to a very complicated but very cool character as we see a door-to-door makeup saleswoman navigate the problems she's making and the ones that sort of just fall into her lap. So enjoy the listen and stick around for our discussion on two older films make for a pretty good mashup to lead you to easy living. But check that one out first. I am the architect of my life. I build its foundation with the qualities of stability and resilience. I was wondering if I could introduce you to our beauty line. It would only take two minutes of your time. Think success early in the morning. What do you think? You want to think about it. Yeah. I can I can sense it. That's okay. As a door-to-door makeup saleswoman, I will not settle for less than I deserve. I will continue to say to myself, my place is at the top. This isn't just some crazy fantasy of yours. This is the real thing. I'm going to my meetings more. I'll see you in there? Yep. Bring Alice back into my life. When was the last time I saw you? Uh, a year ago? I'm laying the groundwork to prepare myself for success and happiness. That is some nonsense. Her? I don't often do this sort of thing. You don't enjoy this? What are you drinking? This is, this is your overall income from last year? I'm just getting started. Can you add a bit more whiskey? Becoming wealthy has nothing to do with your hard work, but has everything to do with being at the right place at the right time. How long have you have you lived with with this film as far as since its inception? Because I know going through the festival circuit and then finally distribution. Uh, you know how how far back does that go? Where you you first had the inkling of this project? It was about four or five years ago. Um, I just you know I you know the the you know the Maisels, um documentary filmmakers. Um, they made one of my favorite documentaries called Salesman, which is about a Bible salesman in the sixties. Um, and I was just thinking about like, oh, what's a female version of that like? And and then it led me to makeup, um, you know, wave on ladies, you know. And then I, um, then this whole kind of um, other arc came to mind where I was trying to think of a woman kind of like trying to find her place in the world, and and that kind of snowballed, you know. Um, and the, yeah, it, it, we, you know, there was you know a few incarnations of the script. Well, the original incarnation was that we were going to do real live, um, just knock on people's doors and create random authentic moments hopefully with random people that didn't really know we were coming to the door um, and w- w- entered the makeup selling moments in the film um, but then we realized that that might be a lot more complicated in the sense of like maybe people won't even let us in their house so <laughs> uh, and so and then we tried to do it where we tried to vet people to let us in their house and they're like so it was just like <laughs> And I, I realized that this was not going to work out exactly how I planned. So uh, what we ended up doing is we ended up fi- um, finding some local actors in uh, Long Island and as well as Jersey and um, and as well as some family friends of the producers who were welcome, like, let us in their homes. And we all the moments in the film are improvised. And so that's what I, I think the original um, essence of the project was. I wanted to create sort of improvised moments embedded with um, this uh, scripted you know, story. And with this film, the casting on it is huge because um, you, the character of Sherry is something where it's such a – I guess not a tradition. I mean, I was absolutely 
compelled by her both times I've sat down with this film and wanted to watch the story. Um, but there's things that could be off pointing and it's uh, off putting rather. And it's not something that would be necessarily likable to a lot of audience members. And that's something I really appreciate about this character that she is complex and she's not just one thing. The casting of Sherry must've been very difficult. Did you have Caroline in mind when you cast this film or was that something where you found her through, uh, some other means? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been a fan of her um, since her show um, Wonder Falls, which was came out in the early 2000s. And I've al- always had her on a list. And I think when we when we went out to her, um, it was kind of amazing that she said yes so quickly. Like it was um, we, she we gave it to her literally, I think, the Friday before um, Labor Day, the, the Friday of Labor Day weekend of 2015. Um, and she said, yes, um, we Skyped on a Monday and of like Labor Day, we Skyped on Labor Day 2015. And within five minutes, she just was like, yes. And to me, I, I knew I was in great hands because I am so familiar with her work, such a fan of her work. And, um, and it's funny because like, I don't know if she really knew how much of a fan I was like, I, you know, you know, there's some actors that like, you know, there's some actors that are like, oh, they're good. But, you know, it's not like that interesting, you know, and I and she's like definitely in a class of her own in the sense of um, she can do anything and and still be like a person that you want to like engage with on screen, you know, in in various ways, you know. Well, me and Mike were actually talking about this before we called you, and it was something where we were wondering why she isn't in every film that comes out because she's so <laughs> good. It's yeah. just I, I just I, I um, her television work, uh, Wonderwall. I'd, I'd actually that that was, if I'm not mistaken, there was a DVD box set of that where it had um, you could look through the viewing glass and like turn the slides for it. Is that sound familiar for that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was on the cover. Um, I, I think I have it somewhere. Yeah. It's like, a, I think like a spinning, uh, you know, why can't I remember what the hell those things are called now for some yeah. reason? I just want to uh, interject that that's one of the many DVDs that I would not have expected to be swiped from my collection. And now that I'm looking, <laughs> I, someone has taken that someone has borrowed that and not returned it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't even realize, uh, that was her. Uh, this this makes this film a little bit darker for me now. Uh, imagining <laughs> that character uh, now in this particular yeah, situation, up. yeah, 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 it could be the grown up version of the, uh, that character. So, <laughs> you know, which I'll, I'll tell her about. I'll actually, I'll, I'll see what she thinks about that idea. Yeah, life yeah. is not as cute and funny anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, certain yeah. points are, I guess, but yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit bleaker. That, that's one of the things I really admired about the film was. Uh, I got to watch it without really knowing anything about it other than my co-host here really liked it, which means uh, less than nothing to me. Uh, I went in very <laughs> defensive about it, but there there are some – I don't want to call them twists because I, I don't want to mislead people yeah. into thinking it's that type of film. But there's, you don't really know uh, which direction Sherry's yeah. going to go or how she's going to handle these little social sort of faux pas that she's dealing with with her peer group. And yeah. I kept thinking that these, this is the type of film that I'm used to seeing a man play this role, yeah. uh, this sort of like, you know, charming kind of, I don't know, roguish character who can't seem to get it together. But yeah. do you ever feel that audiences are more judgmental when a, when a woman is playing that type of part? Because this is something I think is very common, uh, seeing it from the male perspective, but not so much from the female no, um, I, I do agree somewhat. Like, um, I remember we, sh- we, um, we were invited to this, um, a program called U.S. in Progress, um, which is a great program that ha- happens in Poland and Paris, and they invite Amer- only American films in rough cut stages, and to show to um, international sales agents, and just to get feedback on like you know what the world is thinking about your small American movie. Um, and I just remember someone just saying like, "Why does she have such just like I? Why does she do such horrible, unlikable things? You know, just like." <laughs> This, they can't like look past the like the various things where it's more of just like why don't you just connect to the character and like view the world through her eyes you know i don't know it just i think horrible is probably overstating it just a little bit yeah, a <laughs> lot actually. Yeah, yeah 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 and we did get some unlikable comments you know she's so un- like in the, when people were reading the script like she's so un- like this character's so unlikable and um and i think what caroline does is she just like you know she really brings you inside the character and i think she, you you do see these like very vulnerable kind of lost side of the character you know 
Absolutely. If you're not pulling for her when after the bank loan scene, uh, you have no heart. Yeah. <laughs> I just like how she handled that that <laughs> scene. <laughs> the, the confidence with which she handles the room there, yeah. I found greatly amusing. I was pulling for her there. I, I don't care if she's yeah. in the wrong in that instance. I, yeah. I just like her hustle at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that that gives every screening I've been to that gets the biggest laugh of um, just like her kind of com- her kind of naivete, com- like confident <laughs> naivete that she just just like, I- I'm just going to get this money no matter like how. <laughs> you know? What was that like developing the, the character with with Caroline as far as playing some of those moments for, for humor or and I mean, some of those are extremely tense situations, too. Uh, you know, there are definitely darker elements to the characters, in particular, her family situation uh, with her child. Uh, did that was that just all on the page or was that something? Was there a push and pull there on set as far as how to play this for for laughs or, or just sort of keep it? Um, somewhat melodramatic. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for Caroline, it was, it was definitely in the script in the sense of like, um, she didn't really ask me that much, you know, other than I would say like, let's try it a little bit like this way. And then sometimes she would just be like, you know, I don't think she would do it this way, but I'll do it anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so I, 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 you know, I have to say that I um, give a lot of credit to her because once I, you know, we did the improvised makeup selling moments first in the, um, uh, before we started shooting the script. And like, once I saw her, like, just like come alive, you know, you know, in these moments, cause I had no idea she could improvise. Like, you know, that's, you don't know, you know, how good someone is, you know, unless you're like in an improv class or if you'd have seen them perform, you know? And, um, she was just so amazing and just getting in the side of this character just from the get go in these improvised moments, um, that I knew that like, you know what, I'm, I really just going to get out of the way and let her kind of like command the screen in a lot of ways. And, and it's funny because like, um, I would, I, I, I'm, I'm such a fast worker, um, that she would just be like, can we just do it one more time? <laughs> like, she was like begging me for like another take. <laughs> and so it was like, I, cause I always thought everything she did was great. So, <laughs> um, is, is and, that something when you admire somebody's work so much that it's challenging to direct them? Cause there might be a sense of reverence where it's like, well, shit, no, that's perfect. Let's move on. Okay. You know, when, when I think, I think a great director's, you know, I think the, they know the, the acting mostly comes in the casting, you know? And you know, you kind of want someone you can trust and 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 I think I put a lot of trust in her and she put a lot of trust in me and I knew that she would because I know her work so well that she I know she can do anything. She can do comedy, she can do drama, she can do deadpan, you know, she can just she has so much talent that I um knew it was when I when she said she was gonna do it, I had like a sigh of relief because I knew whatever happened in the movie, I had a great lead, you know. And you have her do all those things in this film. It's not yeah. somebody that can handle one of those aspects that, yeah. you know, where they can do comedy really well, that they could necessarily pull off a role like this, or they do drama really well. They could pull that off a role like this. Cause it is such a dynamic role for somebody to take on. And I'm sure that has to be a big element of why she would jump at this because it's such a complex character and you don't see a lot of roles like this, especially for women. So I'm, I'm sure that has a lot to do with why she wanted to jump on board. Did she ex- express that to you or? Yeah. I mean, one of the, well, one, there was other like, um, circumstances, I guess, uh, a job she was, um, on in Canada wasn't going very well. And, I think even a PA died on set. Like it was just like insane. Hmm. Yeah. Or like driving a truck one day. And, and I think, and she, she, at that moment, she was just like, I really just want to jump into a character and like, not Hmm. like something I can dig into and not worry about like all these other things, (laughs) (laughs) like my life. And, you know, and, uh, but um, I think she was just really ready to jump into like a meaty role, you know, and something she could just like dig her teeth into and, um, have a lot of freedom with. And I think this proved an opportunity. I don't think she's ever done an, um, at least in the U S uh, a movie of this size, you know, because it was so mm-hmm. tiny. And I think that kind of excited her, you know? Um, and, and now that you've been sitting with this film for, you know, from that Skype call over two years now, um, and you're still, and it's, you're almost there where it's just going to be out in the world and people can talk about it in your mind. Have you kind of moved on from it and you're ready for the next thing? Or are you still feel 
connected to this? Well, it's, it's, a, um, I'm definitely like writing new things. Like, um, you know, I, I really want to try to make something else in the next year or two, or just get work as a writer or director. You know, I think that's, um, everyone, all my friends who are kind of at my level or more, they all just want to get work and like be able to do what we love, you know? And so I'm definitely trying to get some scripts ready to kind of send out in the next couple months. Um, but I think also because the film was so small, I I've had to do a lot of the marketing and, um, social media stuff. And, um, so I'm definitely living with the film every day, even if I don't want to be, (laughs) Um, (laughs) even if I'm like ready to like, you know, cause you know, it's like, you know, it's, I think on much bigger movies, the director can like just kind of, you know, bounce and, you know, not have to deal with a lot of this, like kind of. Um, minutia of distribution or you know marketing or trying to fill in um, an audience you know this podcast mainly i mean i i i i, I totally uh sympathize with you there i often want to bounce from from this very project but uh, we still do it i i really appreciate you continuing to do so and i just wonder you talked about you know preparing for the next thing uh does still you know being an independent filmmaker still living with this film on the festival circuit do you find that affecting your writing in any way? Like, do you, do you say, okay, I'm going to go in a dramatically different direction now, or is there, are there more themes you want to tackle that, uh, we will see in like upcoming, uh, films from you that you think you want to go back to the well on that are, are in easy living? Well, yeah, definitely. Like I, I like the idea of subverting, subverting like various characters, you know, like I did in the film, um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think my, the biggest lesson that I learned about making an indie movie that one is not that commercial. Um, I think it's, and it's hard to, you know, obviously you want your work to be seen and, but I don't want to like compromise like what I want to do, but I think, you know, you're in this funny state right now with indie movies where there's just so many being made and it's yeah. so many, um, you know, they're, it's hard, getting harder and harder to get into festivals because there's just so many, there's just like the output of films being made as well as getting a distributor to play these many films and then, you know, getting people to see them because there's so many films on VOD or iTunes. Um, so it's like, well, what do, if I were to make another indie movie, I think I would make something kind of more genre based or maybe a strictly a horror film, but hopefully in a interesting way, just because it, if all this money or time or effort going into something, you want people to see it eventually, you know? Um, and, but hopefully I can do it in a way that's, you know, subverts the genre or does something interesting, you know, with the genre. But I think that's my like biggest lesson in trying to get a small, like idiosyncratic movie out there. Um, it's very difficult. <laughs> well, there, there was somebody, I don't know why, but for some reason when I was watching this film, I started thinking of, uh, John Waters kind of early Baltimore stuff or actually yeah. some of the, some of the middle stuff. Um, yeah. and I'm, and I thinking about a filmmaker like that. And do you think somebody like that would be able to find their way in sort of the way that the indie market is now? Mm-hmm. The, would that rise to the top of work like that? Cause those are some of my favorite films. And mm-hmm. I just wonder if that would still make it now yeah it's so funny i like was thinking about that yesterday actually i was thinking about john waters i I, specifically no i swear to god i was i don't know how niche those films would be other than like a cult film you know so it's hard it's hard to say because the festival world as my experience like they really want to like identify what this film is can this play can this get an audience into our festival you know so i'm like i don't know if a john waters film immediately would you know tell tell a programmer like oh this is the next great voice that will make millions of dollars you know maybe he just would have done more serial mom type sort of that kind of genre oriented stuff i guess but um and the 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 world could use a few more serial moms that's not necessarily a bad thing chris no not necessarily (laughs) i love serial mom yeah that was my first rated r movie in a theater serial really yeah huh that that's actually what led you to how old were you when you saw that in the theater? I was, um, with my mother and my, one of my good friends, I was in fifth grade. So that was about 11 <laughs> years old. So I saw that in the theater, 11 years old. Yeah. You know what? It, that, that's fantastic. I, yeah. I want to meet your mom. The woman that yeah. said, yeah, the serial mom, this will work. Yeah. Was it something where she was just going by the cast or did she know John Waters and she was thinking, okay, it's time to turn him on to something good. 
No, I mean, my mom's, I mean, my mom likes movies, but she's no like cinephile. I, I think she just probably saw a commercial that she understood the humor, like the, the, the satire, the, you know, um, the parody. Um, and I think she knew of Kathleen Turner, obviously, and she was sure. one of the biggest actors of the time. And, um, and I think she, you know, she, she knew that I could, ha- she knew it was this, the, the broad humor of it yet dark, you know, the broad, dark slapstick humor of that movie, you know? Um, and you know, I, I definitely think she knew that it, it was relatively harmless, you know, it's not, you know, even though there's like murder happening in blood, <laughs> it's all, it's the, the, you know, you definitely, there's a taste level happening where it's not like, there's definitely a comedy edge to it, you know? And that actually makes me think about something that we were talking about with your film, kind of bringing that back to it, where Kathleen Turner's character in that, in some people's eyes, would be far more sympathetic than the character of Sherry in your film, where it's a she's not murdering anybody in the you know <laughs> well and yeah. um, there's um, she it's there's sexual and there's paternal things and that's it and yet there's a harsher judgment put on that by some audience members and yeah. it, it's in it's just very bizarre to me that sort of disconnect that people have versus sex versus violence and especially yeah. with how it relates to women. No, I mean, totally. Uh, it's, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the main reasons why I really wanted to, you know, make her character just kind of very sex positive. Like she's just kind of like flowing, like going in and out of, you know, men's, you know, her bringing men in and out of her place. And um, I think um, there's, I think we're, we're at a point now that this should be not an issue. You know, <laughs> you mentioned the documentary salesman, which I, I think I discovered on a streaming service years ago. And yeah. found to be not depressing, but uh, yeah. much. I mean, it was just a grind. I mean, it's just very yeah, you yeah. Know, sort of cynical old dudes trying to go door to door. And what I really liked about this one here is that our main character doesn't really fall prey to that. I mean, you could tell that she's not exactly enthused yeah. about what she's doing, but it's mainly other characters that are judgmental uh, about her lack of. Uh, aggression as far as from a, like a professional uh, model yeah. here, as far as how much money she's making. But then we see what she's doing and, you know, I can't help but thinking like, I don't want to do that. Like, I, I mean, she yeah. is, she's very, <laughs> I don't, she's I don't trying. know if she, she's yeah. not, yeah, she's not necessarily successful, but as far as I can tell from a door door salesperson, you know, she seems capable, you know, it seems like hard work. And that's, that's one thing that I thought was really kind of funny and amusing is all these characters that are passing judgment on her that don't really know what she's like, spending her days on doing, but yeah. it, I mean, it's a hustle. I mean, it, it is, it's, yeah. it's pain in the ass. And yeah. yet again, I, I go back to the idea that we've, we've seen a lot of movies that are about, you know, men doing this. We see Paul Newman or Tom Cruise, you know, yeah. just sort of goofing around hustling for, for odd jobs and money. But here it just seems like the worst thing in the world that this mother, um, you know, how dare she have this grind of a job and then have a drink at night or have sex. Yeah. And I, I thought yeah. that was really interesting. That was a cool take yeah. on it. Yeah, no. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to do is like, I really wanted to, you know, make a woman, a mother, you know, likable who gave up her child. Like, I think that's like one of the things that's not often explored is that like, me- like male characters are often, um, you know, you know, uh, terrible fathers or just like, and, but they're never judged for it. They just mm-hmm. leave. And they're like, oh, he's a hero. (laughs) (laughs) It gives them some sort of added sex appeal, strangely. Some sort of darkness to their character. Yeah, no, totally. And it's like, that's like the flaw. It's like, he can't be a good dad. And and I'm like, well, why why don't we ever see women? Why are women, um, you know, so revolted if they leave their children? Or, you know, it's like, I wanted to explore a lot of uh, conventions of female characters and try to like push at pull, push and pull at them, you know, through the movie. And that's, you know, one of the main strands I was like, Oh, what if this mother, what if she was a mother, but she just wasn't a good mother and she gave up her kid and maybe that's, you know, and, but she has this still, we, you know, she obviously has, you know, regret, but she can't really be in her kid's life because she wouldn't be, she couldn't really support her, you know? Chris, you could speak to this more. I'm just nodding my head because I have no children. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, yeah, no, it, it's something that I think uh, people are incredibly judgmental on it. And you're right that it's uh, a double standard that we have when you there's this thing that's expected of women, this natural paternal instinct that they have to have. And if they don't, if they're not 
the complete uh, best purest example of motherhood than they're a failure whereas you know you can have a dad drinking after work and you know it's uh, well it's stress he has a hard job um and those kinds of things that you let go on men and it's it's just very bizarre double standard that we still hold uh women up to that's just completely unfounded and it's it's not realistic and it's not fair because i think that you're right when you say that her giving up the kid is actually probably the best thing for that child it looks like she has um she has a good home life um the life that she would have with her on the road going, you know, from <laughs> hotel to hotel. Yeah. And I don't know what kind of education she's going to have in that, that situation. And, um, the, the random parade of men that's coming through, that's probably not the best thing for her to see. And yeah, mm-hmm. she's there. This is a woman that wasn't ready to be a conventional adult in that sense, but she has, you know, there's an innocence to her, which is something that's really interesting um, mm-hmm. that you see in that bank scene and you see in her sort of worldview is so limited. And it's something where um, I, I've, when you know people that, you know, get sober and they kind of come to that other side mm-hmm. and it's like they're, they start acting like they were 16 again mm-hmm. um, because they, they have this disconnect of growth where they didn't have anything before that. So they're going back mm-hmm. to who they were when they were sober before. And it, there were elements of that that reminded me of those like situations with her. Is that something that you were cognizant of when you were writing this? Yeah. I mean, I think the alcohol um, element, alcoholism element, like, I, I, not exactly that, but I, I really, you know, I, you know, I wanted to portray it, um, in, you know, the least typical way in the sense of like, she's not throwing bottles and like, you know, starting bar <laughs> no. fights, which is like the typical, you know, you know, it, it's not a Bukowski novel. So yeah, yeah. No. And, um, and you know, it's more of just like, she's kind of a functional alcoholic, you know, that drinks here and there or more or not, you know? And I think it's, um, I just wanted to be truthful to that, like in the sense of like, we rarely see that on screen where, you know, people aren't constantly like, oh, you shouldn't have a drink. Like they probably <laughs> are fully aware that she's drunk or that I mean, they're fully aware that she's had a drinking problem in the past or that she may or may not be still having a problem. But I, I think like you're not reminding people all the time about their alcoholism. You know, it's like, I know that's, that's the one thing I really wanted to not do, you know, and just like, because it's clearly, they know that she's a flawed person, you know, Um, (laughs) and they know, you know, I'm sure they've had talks to her and they do. I mean, her sister does have this, you know, uh, subtle talk with her about it. And, but it's like, um, I I know I just, I wanted to kind of get to a point where they've already had these types of, this is already past all these conversations they've already had, you know? Well, it probably makes viewers uncomfortable that they're the ones yeah. uh, making those judgments. I just really didn't feel like I had a grasp on Sherry, even up until the very end, really. No, yeah. n- nobody saw the ending coming. Though. No, that, that's no. one thing I will give you for this film for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't want to give that away for you know, our listeners. No. Cause it's <laughs> one of the great, it's one of the great pleasures of the film as I, you know, and that, that final sort of like confrontation, I just, I had anything could have happened and I would be like, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I see that. I could see that happening. So I, I think that's yeah. a credit to your, your writing and direction. I know the ending is so, you know, it's funny because I think the ending is make it or break it for a lot of people. Um, and, and I think if people understand the humor of the film, they really are into the ending, you know? Um, because I think that's what I, you know, I wanted to take this character who's just, I think one of the main things, like the main themes for me is like her kind of like, where is her home where, you know, where she's trying to find her place in the world in a way. And, and I think like, I really wanted to put her in a situation outside of her bubble, you know, and see how she handles it, you know, with grace um, and dignity, sir. That's how she handles it. (laughs) Yeah. I I wanted to, I wanted to play with tone a little bit, you know, it definitely shifts tone. (laughs) And so, can't have that many shots of somebody walking quietly into strangers homes without it building to something. So it it just, it just makes sense that this is where it was going. Yeah. And it's like, and I think it's like, she's an interloper, like, and I think you, she interlopes with the robber, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I think you, is it too late to change the title? interloping with the robber. <laughs> I think you might be onto something there. I know I, I should. 
<laughs> well, thank you for, again, Adam, for taking yeah. and yet another you know half hour out of another night to do this because I, I really do appreciate it, and I hope people uh, will see this. Um, it's getting released by Gravitas on VOD. You were saying, and then it's also going to be on Amazon Prime. When will that be? Um, uh, well, at first we're doing a, our first a New York run, which is from the uh, September 15th to 21st at uh, cinema village. Um, and then we, uh, premiere on VOD and iTunes and Amazon VOD, um, on September 19th, you know, so you can look, you know, find on com- your Comcast or Time Warner or whatever cable company you have. And then uh, I believe the Amazon prime streaming date is December 1st. So um, if you have Amazon Prime, you can wait till December 1st to watch it then. And what a better way to spend the holidays than just sit around the fire Absolutely. with the family and throw on easy living. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very curious what, you know, some, some, old, some of the older women that are in the makeup moments, I think, are coming to the screening. And I, I just don't know if they knew what they were getting into, like, frankly. What the hell are you wearing? Yeah. It's a jumpsuit. Clay, look at this guy. He looks like a rodeo clown. <laughs> he looks like a little banana. Where are you from anyway, man? I'm from around here. This guy used to mow our lawn. No shit. Yeah, he was great. Clipping the hedges, sweeping up, mowing the lawn. <laughs> what was the name of your little lawn mowing company? The Lawn Wranglers. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Keep up the mowing, Kimasabi. It's landscaping, not just mowing. Don't listen to that guy. I don't know. Sometimes I'm not always as confident as I look. Did you see what he had on? Yeah. It's pretty cool. If we're nothing but functions here, then, then why don't they just send robots? They don't send robots, Bob, for the simple reason they haven't invented one yet. The day comes when they can build a robot to do what we do and make it work, then that's exactly what they'll do precisely but until that day they send us they say hey bob larry phil why don't you go on down to wichita for a couple of days don't worry about your room and board we'll take care of that and for a couple of days bob we lose our identities here in wichita and we become the hands of the company shaking all the other hands before us what you did the reason you were insincere is that you cut off that bond it would be like the hand just sort of breaking away from the arm and saying oh you know what i have this other thing out here to do that has nothing to do with you apostle paul said please don't do that please don't do that i'm trying to have a conversation with you here don't bring the apostle paul in i'm trying to do something else i don't see how we can have a conversation like this if i'm not allowed to bring up the subject of god We're not talking about God. I'm talking about something bigger than God. Bigger than God? At issue, Bob, is not your belief in God or your desire to spread that belief. At issue is what we're here to do. Which is what, Larry? Which is what? We're here to sell lubricants, Bob. Industrial lubricants. We're not here to save souls. All right. My uh, selection, uh, and I didn't really have it uh, nailed down uh, until... God, I don't know. It might have been 10 minutes after the movie was over. I don't know. I think I was still kicking around. But I went with 1996's debut film from Wes Anderson, Bottle Rocket, is my choice. Ah, okay. And I would say that Bottle Rocket is uh, a little lighter, a little goofier. I mean, it's <laughs> it's definitely broad. It's probably my favorite Wes Anderson film. Yeah, I've sort of drifted away from him, um, and I don't I don't know if Wes Anderson's cool anymore, or if it's like the if it's the most uncool thing to like a Wes Anderson movie. But I'll say this for Fantastic Mr. Fox. But the reason it came to mind is I think that the character of Sherry is so hard to nail down, and it's something that we we discussed with with Adam was you know her at times she's either just a complete idiot as an adult, she's a child. Or she's like the coolest character around, like it's someone you want to yeah. hang out with. And so I thought a lot of Dignan, Owen Wilson's character. And I guess the, the main difference is, you know, between the two films is that Bottle Rocket, he never really drops character. He never drops his persona of being this this uh, gangster, this criminal and easy living. You know, there are moments with Sherry where you, you do see some doubt creep in. And she's not quite as idiotic, not quite as naive, not quite as broad. But there, there are similar 
comedic sensibilities, I think, with the with the these two characters as far as their hustle and like what they're trying to achieve versus how other people perceive them and maybe how the world perceives them. It's actually yeah, it's an I would never have thought about going with that, but that I can see that makes sense. That's actually um interesting. But there's something I think is the consistent through line with this. Apparently you and I um we don't we didn't see movies after the year 2000 for the most part it seems like everything is going to be between 1992 and 1999 that we pick i don't um, see an issue yet I, I, no. <laughs> we have excellent taste <laughs> well, well, well we'll see how you feel about it after you hear what i chose okay yeah, um, i'm wrong already i can tell <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe I, I don't i don't know if you've seen it or not i i think you probably have but it's a, a movie with kevin spacey and danny devito uh called the big kahuna what are you talking about? That's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> really? It absolutely is. And now it is, you know, it's stagey as hell. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's the best looking film, but it has. But it's, it's all performance and all writing. Absolutely. And it yeah. It doesn't need anything else. Um, and it was based on a play. So they just knew they had something good and they just filmed it and it's fine. And it's actually, I love this movie. Um, this is one of those ones I saw in the theater with just a handful of people and I wanted to revisit this world. I was hoping this was going to be a spinoff and I could just follow this world for, you know, episodically um, that, that there would have been a Mad Men version of this. But my thought behind this with Sherry is kind of an embodiment of all three of these characters at different points where she has this sort of wide eyed innocence of the new salesman at times um, where she's completely clueless. But then other times when, you know, you put her in a bar and she has a little bit more of the Kevin Spacey or Danny DeVito nature to her. Um, and so I, I thought that, you know, with them being salesmen looking for something in that world and I couldn't find a one-to-one in my mind because she's such an interesting character. And I went with a film that would kind of show all of the sides. And I thought that that kind of lined that out, even though they had in very different directions. Um, but, you know, alcohol does play a little bit of a, part in the the film for uh oh god i can't remember the character's name it was uh the young guy do you remember his name in big kahuna you're, you're talking about the god from can't hardly wait the the hero <laughs> yeah. of that particular yeah. film uh peter facinelli i think is his name yeah, the there you go. uh yeah, yeah, his yeah, bob yeah, yeah. bob, bob. Is the, okay. yeah, the, the young um christian super christian basically in, yes. that, in that film yeah. And the fantasy scene where he's bartending is one of my all. It might not be. It might be stagey. The rest of the film, but that little fantasy sequence, I fucking love that. Well, my favorite uh, fantasy sequence is one that I throw around often in my group text with my buddies and iMessage. It's a YouTube clip that they're probably tired of seeing, and they're wondering why I'm pulling from this movie called The Big Kahuna that no one else has watched. <laughs> and I do want to apologize to Adam. We're probably not doing like the biggest blockbusters to illuminate about this film. <laughs> you know, in, in this particular pairing, Bottle Rocket might as well be E.T. for this show <laughs> compared to The Big Kahuna. Uh, but the, the sequence I go to is Danny DeVito's is, you know, we've seen Kevin Spacey's character. Who's like, uh, he's like, uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, from yeah. Glengarry Glen Ross, except in like, where they like in Kansas. I don't know. It's like the, the flyover state version. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, he imagines himself being like the, the, the guy in the room, everyone bows down to, I believe that's unfortunately like the cover of the DVD I own, but Dane yeah. DeVito sequence, his fancy is the best as he smokes a cigar <laughs> and, uh, I think has a glass of scotch and, uh, then just jumps off the balcony. Like, <laughs> and I, I've, I've used that scene so many times to just sort of explain my mood where I'm like, this guy has it right. <laughs> this guy, that's, that's what we should be daydreaming about is when it all ends. But how in the three years that we've been talking about movies of the big kahuna has never come up. I adore that movie. I, I, I can't, I did that for an episode of war machine versus wars. And I cannot tell you, I did it with, uh, I believe Dwight from the broken brain who, uh, you know, okay. a therapist. So it basically was a free therapy session for me. And it was, <laughs> I, I relate to Danny DeVito. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably did 20 minutes on that sequence. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can't remember what the film was for or, or what the, uh, the new film was. And we ended up doing like a two hour podcast and I spent like a 90 minutes of it talking about the big kahuna. I believe it's one that I actually did get some feedback on where people are like, all right, you need to shut up about this stupid movie. So <laughs> welcome to projecting film where it comes back and Chris <laughs> brought it to the table. Um, what I, I like what you're saying as far as the, the division between the, the men, because it's, it's something that within the context of the big kahuna, they definitely play off of, um, I I really love the bond between Larry and Phil, which is the Spacey and DeVito character. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's one of like probably like five movies that like 
makes me cry. That and like you can count on me for sure. I saw this in a dollar movie theater with my brother when I was a teenager. I was like a junior in high school. And this is a very weird thing to say, but I it was the first time I ever thought I saw myself on screen. And keep in mind, I'm a teenager, and I thought, my God, I'm going to turn into Larry. I'm going to turn into Kevin Spacey's character. Like if I keep if I keep this sort of antagonism that I have as a teenager, this feeling that I always know best, and I'm I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm just going to be an asshole, like just just an asshole. Wow. Dane DeVito as a friend, and it was it was a sort of a terrifying watch. So. This this film uh, strikes more of a personal chord with me, even though I have no sort of salesman experience like that. I just mm-hmm. looked at that guy and I thought, like, you know, I, it was a bit of a, a step in maturity for me where I was like, you know, I don't want to be that person. Where if I'd seen that maybe two years prior, I would have thought, this dude rules. This guy's awesome. And I I, I really like the big kahuna that they – he's the coolest guy with the sharpest dialogue. But, you know, by the end of the film, he's apologizing uh, for getting physical with, uh, you know, his his – this younger man that he's, he's, I believe his line is something like, you know, I'm just trying to teach you or give you something of myself. And like, he realizes like, he doesn't really have much to give other than just aggression, you know, just, just sort of trying to put your thumb on someone and saying, I'm right. You're wrong for all X number Y reasons. And none of them really matter. You know, it's just, it's just the fact that he talks the most. So what I did, obviously I learned so much from this. I just started to <laughs> start a podcast where I talk the most. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point i'm getting at here you have four podcasts now <laughs> i'm working on it you know then give me credit there's there's three more days in the week so we'll see if we can get up seven uh, <laughs> but no this, this is a great pick i i can't you know i don't think this one crossed my mind i understand the the salesman angle and i really like the idea that you're splitting up the character of sherry but it, it was it was just the that that was my entryway into it where I started kind of going down that list. I was like, okay, let's look through salesman movies and kind of go through all those that I could think of. And it's just, they're all pretty typical um, where it's about, you know, that alcoholic on the road, lonely salesman, and they kind of still make it look a little bit tragic and sexy at the same time. And I felt like the big kahuna actually does capture that loneliness um, in all three of these characters. Um, well, yeah, cause Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is, I mean, it's Jack Lemon's a sad old man at the end of it, right? Yeah. But there's yeah. too much quotable dialogue in that where it's it, still it, cool. It, you can say, yeah, the the moral of Glengarry Glenn Ross, the thing, the takeaway, of course, it's it, they're all similar. But you wrap it up in something that's sexy. It's like you know, you make an anti-war film like Apocalypse Now, but you make it look like that. It, you kind of lose the message somewhere in there. Yeah, put the put three dudes in a room. Uh, in a pretty crappy looking room, especially for a film, <laughs> have the characters repeatedly talk about how shitty it looks, reminding you you're kind of watching a shitty looking movie, <laughs> and then uh, just let them go toe toe. And when there is something physical that finally happens, uh, you reprimand all the characters for their involvement in it. You make you make the audience feel bad that it came to fisticuffs. I I think you know it, it's a little it's a little darker than than Ball Rocket, which uh, is about losers. I don't and I don't want to make it sound like Easy Living is about a loser, but I do think that the other characters probably feel Sherry is you know and probably people who are watching the film, especially with the the fact that she's a mother. Um, I I think I was thinking back to Ball Rocket, and I have to admit I didn't rewatch it for this podcast because it was pretty late in the game as far as me even figuring out what my pick would be. But I kind of wondered if the humor would play as well as it did in the mid '90s, uh, or would people find the their the antagonist in that film even too too mean spirited in film? Because I feel like the way we look at characters, you know, our our main guy here, not Dignan, but uh, Luke Wilson's character of uh, Anthony uh, yeah. leaving a uh, mental hospital, you know, that is uh, <laughs> almost everyone he interacts with. That's how he's defined. It's like, oh, yeah. you're the crazy guy. Well, and, and do you think with what happened with his brother that you'd be able to kind of separate that out and would it hold a little bit more of a tragic tone to it? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that you look at Wes Anderson's work and he's actually gone – he's gone so far astray. I mean, I, I don't know. That's um, He's done well for himself, obviously, but he – he is now playing with these characters, these sort of damaged characters that are so removed from society or normal people. And at least with bottle rocket, there is that tinge of like, yeah, you could run into these dudes. You know, these are, you know, the, the setting itself is not a family full of geniuses. It's not <laughs> Bill Murray on some weird ship out there with, you know, daddy yeah, issues. But, and 
Rushmore isn't so out of out of reach, you know, for Bill Murray in that film. The only thing that's out of reach with that one is probably just the 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 wealth. Yeah, you're you're going you're going off into a different economic yeah. stratosphere as far as the the world that those characters play and the issues they're dealing with. Not so much, but yeah, I I looked at Bottle Rocket and I with Easy Living, I'm like, you know, the the locale. <laughs> Yet again, this is the Lawrence of Arabia compared to your pick. <laughs> Normally, Bottle Rocket is is pretty. You know, it's a pretty static film as far as the you know the the big scenery we get is this uh this hotel in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> like you know the, the pool sequence. You know, but it, and easy living actually is not. It, it's a fairly simple film, but it's and it's from a visual standpoint, it's far more striking and interesting. It looks better than both of the, our picks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And I, I, I want to just make sure that that, that that that's mentioned because his film doesn't look like either one of these. His film actually looks really good, especially you know for this micro budget type world that he was working in and so no it's just kind of thematically is what i was going with but it was interesting listening to the, the interview because obviously like the big kahuna had uh, kevin spacey uh really throwing his weight around post uh usual suspects and did this come yeah. out so uh, i think it released uh right after 99 it came out right that, yeah 99 see i didn't see it until 2000 like i said in a discount theater in kentucky and uh let's see yeah okay so it's limited release was april of 2000 so they they did hold it until after the american beauty wave um, okay and so even that you know that, that i mean no one no one is that even film podcasters no one knows what the fuck i'm talking about even though i gave them a two-hour lot you know audio commentary track <laughs> on the picona <laughs> But I was thinking of Easy Living, uh, and that's often why in our, our discussion I kept bringing up this sort of gender bias, if you will, because there was a time, and I, I don't know, I haven't looked on YouTube. I'm just going from memory, but I, I know I'm right here because I even then I thought it was weird where uh, the MTV Movie Awards uh, – would have one segment where they devoted like i don't know five minutes their broadcasts hyping up an independent film and awarding this person best new filmmaker bottle rocket got that push at the mtv movie awards and it's weird to me you know you had them attempting to to make this like some comedy that young people needed to see like that they were saying this is a cool movie and easy living you know not only do we not live in a time period where the MTV movie awards are pushing independent cinema, but you know, I, I unfortunately do not see that character or maybe a female character like Dignan, uh, breaking out where suddenly that particular actress is going to get comedic sidekick roles like Owen Wilson and easy living is funny, very funny at times, but it's just not, you know, I understand that his, his thinking that, you know, maybe next time define it more as a genre film, because I think that Bottle Rocket has certainly helped with the, the goofy sort of uh, playing with iconic imagery of dudes like, you know, especially in the mid-90s holding a pistol, like a line of yeah. guys holding a gun. Like they're playing off of like, you know, Reservoir Dogs or Tarantino. So what I'm saying here is I know marketing uh, best here. <laughs> you need to do the Bottle Rocket. That's That was that was what swept this country in the 90s was Bottle Rocket. <laughs> and uh how dare you bring the big kahuna into this place, you know, sir? That's the I, I'm dealing with the titans of, of boxers here. I'm, I'm sorry, you brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you obviously did not watch big kahuna closely because fighting is not cool. Men should not fight. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, they should just podcast instead. That's uh, a <laughs> that's what they should do. <laughs> That, that's the that's the problem this is our modern version of actually gladiator combat we just argue about a movie on skype that's that's why i'm training seven days a week i release a show man every day no one's gonna have the last word on me because i will broadcast something they will, they will, they will hear me <laughs> i just can't believe you gave me a, a second go at the big kahuna you just you you just walked into that where I, i'm like oh i'm extremely passionate about this film I had no idea. I, I honestly, as I said, I hadn't. I didn't even think you would have seen it. So, it well, was one a thing about small our movie. Well, one thing about our two picks is you know the we also went more. You know, they're obviously very they're very male, and they're about male friendships and those bonds yeah. that are created. And even through all this, the stress, we're in Big Kahuna. It's this. You know, that's the title of the film. Unfortunately, is is trying to to catch what they call as the Big Kahuna to make this sale for. Uh, God, what are they? What are they in? 
Are they lubricants? I, they're in lubricants. That's lubricants? what. Okay. <laughs> and then bottle rocket, you know, that's even even when they fail at being criminals uh, in a very embarrassing way. I mean, they're they're conned by. Uh, well, James Con himself, like who's not even trying. <laughs> I, I really love that he's not really even trying in the film as an actor, and his it no. works because his character's not trying because he's dealing with fucking idiots. He probably felt the same way about Wes Anderson. He was just like, you know, what has happened to me here that I'm I'm in this movie? But uh, easy living, not so, not so much as far as the the friendship angle. It's a little bit different as far as you know there there is that background characters, but that is not the direction the film goes. That there's a strong base there that will will back her up even with all their differences. And I, I think that's to the film's credit a little bit. And yet again, maybe it's just a, a different sensibility, but uh, it's a little bit scarier because Sherry, Sherry's on her own for the most part. And at least in these two films that we've picked, those, those guys do have each other, even if they like disagree throughout, I think both films throughout almost the entire run times. Well, it takes like six, seven men to make one Sherry. And, and that that's to the, there we go. Co- there you go. So, that's I mean, that's to <laughs> you've spoken enough, sir. <laughs> I know I, I knew to shut up at that point. I was like, Oh wait, that actually sounded okay. All right, done. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I do my best as an editor. I'm like, that's good. That's actually good. Chris, now be quiet. <laughs> you made you, one you good point. So, you said something usable <laughs> work around the rest of this horse shit. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time as we'll be covering another film with a lead female protagonist who uh, is a bit troubled and uh, in between jobs. It is Thirst Street, a film from Nathan Silver, which is about an American flight attendant who falls for a Parisian bartender on a layover and uh, decides to stick around, see how that plays out. So we hope that you stick around uh, for this podcast and continue listening to us recommend films that are probably woefully inadequate to describe the independent cinema that we're trying to highlight. Uh, But we're trying. It's early on. If you have any recommendations in the uh, world of indie film, stuff you're looking forward to that you'd like to see us cover, you can email us at projectingfilm at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, at projectingfilm. Myself, I'm Michael Denniston, at War Machine Horse, co-host, Chris Maynard at following underscore films. You can find this podcast and many other movie podcasts on followingfilms.com. And if you'd like to follow our guests, uh, thank you once again to Adam. You can go to his Twitter account at ABK man or at easy living film. So please check that one out and uh, have a good time with it. Cause we did. I'm the uh, I'm the version of the I'm giving your off-screen performance, so that that's all. I, I choose to think of you as the uh, the fluffer on the porn set. You're just here to get me all worked up. <laughs> you upgraded me. me. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like the fluffer is actually playing a far more significant role than the disinterested PA that's you know reading the sides. No, you gotta get right in there with the, the genital action, <laughs> and I'll take it from ah. there. <laughs>